If you would join with me now in prayer as we go to the Lord before we open up his word. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you for not leaving us to find our way on our own, but you have provided both your word and your spirit that we can navigate uh, this life before us. But, oh, Father, we pray and ask now that you would indeed open up our hearts to your word and your word to our hearts, that we, your gathered people, would know what we are to believe about you and also what duty you ask of us. Father, may your word before us be our rule. May your Holy Spirit be our teacher and may your greater glory be our supreme concern now and all our days. For we pray in Christ's name. Amen. We're now on week 15 in our series, Jesus According to the Bible, an exposition of the Gospel of Mark. Um, Some of you here are probably familiar, uh, you may have grown up with that uh, children's Bible song, Oh, Be Careful, Little Eyes, Yes. There's eyes, there's hands, there's feet, and there's a mouth in that little song. But what's missing? How about verse 2? Oh, be careful, little ears, what you hear. Oh, be careful, little ears, what you hear. There is a father up above, and he's looking down in love. So be careful, little ears, what you hear. Jesus, in a way, is singing a song here in Mark chapter 4, specifically Mark chapter 4, verse 24, when Jesus says, pay attention, consider carefully, take care, take heed, take heed, pay attention to what you hear from me. In other words, Jesus is saying to all of us what God the Father will say at Jesus' transfiguration that we see later in Mark when God the Father says, this is my beloved Son, listen to Him. Jesus is saying to all of us here, listen, listen to me. Well, who is this man who's saying, listen to me? Today, as there was in the first century, there's a lot of ignorance and confusion about who Jesus is. So there's a great need for biblical, accurate knowledge and clarity about the person and work of Jesus. And that's why we're in here in the Gospel of Mark, because Mark is presenting the good news of the Gospel, the good news of Jesus, both the message proclaimed by Jesus and the man, Jesus himself. And as I hope we've been seeing so far, Mark is orderly, deliberate, and purposeful in the organization and structure of his book. I keep reminding us of this because it's important to keep in mind that there are really two parts to the gospel according to Mark. Part one answers the question, who is Jesus? The focus is on the person of Jesus. And part two is 
answers the question, what did Jesus come to do? And the focus is on his work. And there's that hinge in the middle in chapter 8, verses 27 through 28, when Jesus first asked the question, who do people say that I am? And then after that question is answered, he asks the more important question, who do you say that I am? Uh, this past Friday evening, I had the joy, along with uh, several other men from Grace and Peace, to be at Fairhaven Rescue Mission, where we serve a meal and lead a chapel service on the second Friday of each month. And um, even though I was uh, speaking from um, Luke chapter 23 about the two criminals hanging on either side of Jesus, and even though I ended up asking the question based on that text, on what side of Jesus are you hanging? I was able to go back to this question that Jesus asked. Who do you say that I am? That's the key question Jesus is asking. And that's the, and, and that's the question that Mark is answering in his book. Because he wants us to know who Jesus is, what Jesus came to do, and importantly, how should someone respond? In the first century... And how should someone today respond to the person and work of Jesus? And we've been saying all along, who is Jesus? He is the king. And what did he come to do? He came to bring with him the kingdom of God. Well, if you're in your Bibles, you'll notice at verse 21 of chapter 4, it's under a section some Bibles call a lamp under a basket. Some other Bible translations say a lamp on a stand. Well, in contrast to that extended metaphor of 20 verses that we've looked at for the previous two weeks, our text this morning is a collection of four short sayings and an image. Now remember, again, Mark is deliberate and purposeful in arranging his material. It's not by accident that these verses are here. Join with me now as I read verses 21 through 25. And he, that is Jesus, said to them, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Now you just heard those verses read aloud. And if you're like me, if you've spent some time in the Bible before, you, this sounds really familiar. Before we find out what is going on in this text, we need to find out first what is not going on. In other words, what this text does not mean. Because sometimes the first thing we have to do is figure out what it's not saying. Verse 21, a lamp not hidden not under a basket, not under a bed. What does that sound like? Well, have you heard that before? Sure sounds like the Sermon on the Mount, doesn't it? 
Matthew 5, 14 through 16. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Great passage from the Sermon on the Mount. Similar words. But the lamp today is not about you. Not in this text. How about verse 22? Have you heard that before? Nothing is hidden except to be made manifest. How about when Jesus warns against the leaven of the Pharisees in Luke chapter 12? Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light, and what you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. Or, in addressing a fear of persecution, we read in Matthew 10, Jesus says this, So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed, or hidden that will be not made known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. Yet none of those fit what's taking place here in Mark chapter 4. How about verse 24? Look with me. Um, With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. Well, where have you heard that one before? Again, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 7. Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. However, that's not what our text is about. And finally, verse 25. For the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Well, does that sound familiar? Well, of course, if you're familiar with the conclusion of the parable of the minas or the talents. Turn with me over to Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19, where I'll be reading verses 26 through, excuse me, 24 through 26. And at the end of the parable of the ten minas, Jesus says this, And he said to those who stood by, Take the mina from him and give it to the one who has the ten minas. And they said to him, Lord, he has ten minas. I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. But as for these enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. Wow, that's an interesting end to that parable. But what it's about in chapter 4 of Mark is not about using gifts and abilities in the service of the Lord. Well, how do we figure out what is going on here in these verses? Well, let's look at the context. What comes before? What's in the front yard of our text? Well, it's the parable of the sower. And as we've seen, it's the parable of parables. It is the key, as it were, to understanding all the parables. Because in it, both with the parable told and the parable explained, we are given understanding of the relationship of the Word of God. To the condition of the heart, the hard heart, the shallow heart, the divided heart, and finally to the receptive heart that bears fruit 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. So that's what comes before. Well, let's look ahead to what comes after. What's the context of what follows 
our passage? Well, it's two parables of kingdom growth, the parable of the growing seed and the parable of the mustard seed. And what we see in those is the mysterious and yet amazing growth of the kingdom of God. And that's what we'll take a look at next week. And you see what you have in front of and behind our text today is the relationship between the kingdom of God that Jesus is bringing and the word of God that Jesus is speaking. Jesus has announced early in Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15, the coming of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is at hand. And these parables of chapter 4 show us that the progress of this coming and now arrived kingdom, how that kingdom expands and established and grows is how the word is established and grows and expands in the hearts and lives of people. Well, we've just spent a few minutes considering what the text does not mean. And we've also considered the context looking at what comes before as well as after our text. We've looked at the text, in other words, from the outside. Let's now look at our text from the inside and discover what it is that God is making known to us through his word. And I believe that what he's making known to us can be summed up as follows. The gracious disclosure of God and the inescapable duty of man. The gracious disclosure of God and the inescapable duty of man. Well, let's consider now these first two verse, three verses, verses 21 through 23, which I'm calling the gracious disclosure of God. Jesus says, once again, is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? It's not just a rhetorical question used for effect. It's a ridiculous question. Hey, children, how would you answer that question? How would you answer it? Do you bring a lamp into the room and just cover it up, keep it hidden? Of course not. Right. Jesus knows, and the way this is constructed is expects a negative answer. Of course not. That's not what happens when a lamp comes into a room. Now, why do I say a lamp comes into a room? If you look at it, it says, is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket? And that's a good translation. And I'm very thankful that we have had people that go before us that, that translate God's word and help us in our own language understand it. But this is where understanding and um, spending time in the original languages really helps. Because what you have literally word for word here is... Does the lamp come to be under a basket or a bed? Does a lamp come? Now, what's interesting about that is it's not actually does a lamp come. It's specifically does the lamp come? It's not about so much a lamp being brought. It's about the lamp coming. If you haven't figured it out by now, Jesus is saying he's the lamp. He's the lamp that's coming. 
To be sure, in John, he says, I am the light of the world. And in a way, that's what he's saying here. I am the lamp that's coming into the room, that gives light to the room, that dispels the darkness, that enables you to see everything else because the illumination is now here. Jesus is following, of course, this parable of the sower or the soils, which we see, although small and slow and varied, nonetheless, Jesus is assuring us that because he is the light, he will illuminate the world and display the kingdom of God just as the seed that is scattered, when it finds the good soil, it will bear fruit. A huge harvest. Jesus is saying the lamp's purpose is not to be hidden. And in a way, Mark is saying that the gospel, the Christian message that Jesus is presenting is not hidden. First, Christianity is not a mystery religion of the first century, nor is it a cult like you may see today where there's secret initiations and Um, levels of knowledge. Um, There were the mystery religions of the first century that Paul had to deal with as the gospel was proclaimed throughout the Greco-Roman world where um, the gospel was being proclaimed and yet people, if they were, as it were, religious, and and Paul would argue that everyone's religious, they they may have been involved in a mystery religion of uh, secret uh, uh, rituals and hidden things, but, but Mark is saying, no, the gospel message that Jesus is proclaiming is open. It's for all to hear. Jesus is speaking to the crowds. He's healing in front of the multitudes. He's entering homes. He's forgiving paralytics. He's casting out demons in full view. And yet, while that is true, there is also an already and not yet aspect to the kingdom of God. Because in verse 11 of chapter 4, we read again, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom. To you has been given his disciples, those ones he is drawing in close. To you has been given the secret. And as we saw a couple of weeks ago, the secret is Jesus himself. He is making the kingdom. He's making the God known in the flesh. And so there's an already that they have been made aware, but yet there's a not yet aspect as well because one day what the disciples and those intimately connected to Jesus know, one day the entire world will know. And it's referring to the day when everything is laid open, when the hearts of everyone is disclosed, where every tongue and every I will confess and every knee will bow that Jesus is Lord on that day. And yet it's a day of judgment for those who have yet to bow the knee before Jesus. But although the gospel is not hidden as Jesus is proclaiming it, man is nonetheless born dead as we reminded ourselves this morning in our youth and adult class. He's born, among other things, blind. And so man has to be made alive. He has to be given a new heart and his eyes have to be opened. And God has to make himself known. There is no other way 
God graciously discloses himself. And as we've talked about before, the distance between the creator and the creation is so great that only God making himself known is the only hope that the creation has. And God is making himself known in Jesus as we heard again from Hebrews chapter 1. So Jesus concludes this section with a call to listen. If anyone has ears, ears to hear, let him hear. And that's pretty much what he said back in verse 9 as well. But now he begins a new section with another call to listen. This time with an even greater emphasis. And that brings us to the inescapable duty of man. Verse 24. Pay attention. Consider carefully. Take care. Heed. Pay attention. Listen up. Now hear this. Those of you that may have uh, been in situations where there's a loudspeaker and people want to get your attention. Now hear this. Now hear this. Attention to announcements you might hear before school. Pay attention. It's almost in bold. Pay attention Listen, consider carefully. And I want you to notice what comes on the heels of that. First of all, with the measure you use, it will be measured to you and still more will be added to you. Here's this call to listen carefully, to pay attention. And the first emphasis is encouragement. Encouragement. We'll get to the warning in a minute, but before that is the encouragement. Who is Jesus speaking to? Well, it could be his disciples only. It could be the crowd. It's a little ambiguous, but it's addressed to those who have ears. Let them hear. It's addressed, as it were, to all, but it will be the good soil that hears, the good soil that receives, the good soil that listens understands and applies. Jesus is speaking here of the measure that we use. And what he means by that is how open are we to God's word? If we're open to God's word, it will determine the understanding that we're given. Turn with me to Proverbs chapter 9. Proverbs chapter 9 verse 9 says this, Give instruction to a wise man, and he will be still wiser. Teach a righteous man, and he will increase in learning. Because that person wants to be instructed. That person wants to be taught. So let me ask you before we move on, how open are you to God's Word? I would encourage you later to read the Something to Think About quote that's found uh, at the end of the order of worship as it addresses our relationship to the Word of God. Are we coming, as it were, from below in humility? Are we coming from preconceived notions and coming from above? So before Jesus goes on, He encourages those that are listening, that are understanding, and that are applying. You know what? Because you're faithful with the little, I'll entrust you with more. And to those whom a little is given, more will be added. 
But second, notice that in that next verse, in verse 25, there's both a continued promise and a warning. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Now, in the logic and wisdom of our unbelieving world around us, what would they say? Are you ready? That's not fair. That's not fair. Well, my friends, we have to just step back and and remember, uh, being in a right and restored relationship with God is not fair either, is it? It's all of grace. It's all of God's mercy. So there's a promise to those who receive, who submit, who yield. If you've got, more will be added. But there's also a warning to those who resist and who reject, who spurn God's Word. Those of you may uh, know that Table Talk uh, is in going through the Gospel according to Mark, and thankfully they've leapt well ahead of us now. At, t- at one day, we were almost side by side, but Table Talk is now way in front of us. Well, back on the 14th of March, um, it was this passage, and an expression jumped out that really helped me in my understanding, and I hope it helps your understanding. The writer says this, The Lord is exceedingly generous, but He is no fool. The one who is responding to God's Word He gives more of His Word. The one who is resisting and ultimately rejects, eventually that Word will stop coming. And it will be the hardening of the heart to which there is absolutely no hope of salvation. Notice, when Jesus says, pay attention, in verse 24. He's saying, keep paying attention. It's ongoing. It's not a one and done. It's not a fire and forget. It's it's not, okay, I, I, I paid attention once, and now I'm going to live however I want to. No, my friends, Jesus is saying, keep paying attention. That's why... We ask for forgiveness, not just initially, but it's an ongoing rhythm of our life. Keep paying attention. Let me help you out. Children, have you ever ridden a bike before? Well, what do you think is the illustration? Well, if you get off the bike for a month, you're not going to know how to ride when you get back on the bike? No. What's the purpose of the bike illustration? What happens if you stop pedaling? What happens? You tip over, you fall over, because a bike is not designed to stay stationary, it's to move. Now, thankfully, when we don't have the strength to pedal sometimes, anybody like that? Sometimes God puts us on a downhill, and that's the good kind of downhill. That's one where it's gravity, in a good way, is taking us somewhere. But the purpose of a bike is to pedal, to keep going. If you stop, it tips over and you go with it. God speaks. He has graciously made himself known through his world 
and through His Word, His spoken Word, His written Word, and supremely through His Word in the flesh, Jesus Christ. God speaks, and what do His people do? They listen. They pay attention. Now let's wrap up this section by reminding ourselves of two things concerning the identity of Christians that our text makes known. Now to be sure, Mark is all about making Jesus known, but he also indirectly is making Christians known. He's revealing the identity of Christians. First, Christians are people, as we heard last week and this week, who hear with the heart. In other words, they hear with faith. Faith that they've been given. Does anybody know what the leading cause of physical death is in the United States? I heard it the other day on NPR. I hear it fairly often. You know what it is. Heart disease, right? The leading cause of death in the United States. And there are an awful lot of fixes, aren't there? Better exercise, there's a better diet, there's maybe a bypass or some stents put in, right? And there's a really good fix, right? What's it called? A transplant, right? Your failing, dying heart, you get a new heart. Well, the leading cause of spiritual death in the world is the heart disease of sin. The wages of sin is death. And you know what, my friends? There aren't a lot of fixes for that. There aren't better diet, better exercise, a little procedure here, a little procedure there. There's only one fix. A new heart. The good soil. And secondly, Christians are people who have new hearts. And with those new hearts come both the ability and increasing desire to pay attention to what they hear as God speaks through His Word. So let's go back to the little song we sang at the beginning. Oh, be careful, little eyes. Or, oh, be careful, little ears. Is it just that the Father is looking down in love? I mean, in a way, that's a good line because He's looking down in love. He's not looking down, as it were, in judgment or condemnation or however you want to phrase it. He's looking down in love. But is that all? Because as we've been seeing in Mark and as we see in all of Scripture, it gets much better than the Father is looking down in love. It's better because the Son has come down and He's lived and He's died and He's been raised again in love. And now He is here with us by His Holy Spirit who among other things assures us of the love that will not let us go. Brothers and sisters, let us keep our ears open and our eyes fixed upon Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Let's pray. 
Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the arrangement of these four familiar sayings and this image before our mind's eye that drive home to us that Jesus indeed is the light of the world who has come and is coming into the world as the gospel is proclaimed. And Father, we thank you for this, this promise and this encouragement and this assurance that openness to your word begets more of your word and your grace and your pleasure. But also, Father, we need to hear the warning as well. The warning that comes to remind us not to resist, not to reject your words. Father, have mercy upon your gathered people. Give us the heart to hear. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.